I saw it on Linden Street. Hello, and welcome to I Saw It on Linden Street, the show dedicated to the joy of finding an appreciation in cult films, exploitation oddities, beloved classics, and all points in between. I'm your host, Chris Roberts, inviting you to join us here at the Linden Street Cinema Experience Theater as we once again dig up a fun cinematic relic from the past. If you're new to the show, thank you for joining us. This isn't your standard film review, rather it's a synopsis of a film that we feel deserves to have another inspection. And you'll get a little bit background on actors, maybe some trivia on a director or two, and if I've done my job, perhaps half an amusing story. Fair be warned, while we don't cover all aspects of the plot, we do discuss endings and spoilers, so if you want to be surprised, please give the film a viewing before you listen to us. If you like us, and I would hope you do, I would ask, please, you recommend this podcast to a friend and give us a favorable review. The dog days of summer are upon us, and this month's theme sounds accusatory in the heat, as we declare proudly, you're the puppet. This is just us covering a fun batch of films that all hinge on the use of some amazing puppetry. And this week, we will be featuring the Frank Oz 1986 musical comedy classic, Little Shop of Horrors. Join us! The fall of 1986 saw the theatrical film release of this week's movie, a musical comedy, The Little Shop of Horrors. I would not have known about it save for two factors. First, my older cousin Michael had seen it and had told us about it, saying that he liked it and then good-naturedly teased us about how the plant would eat us up. So seven months or so goes by without incident, and then in the late summer of 1987, I suddenly become transfixed with the new giant cardboard display that showed up at our local mom-and-pop video store, advertising the must-see coming-soon video release with a giant Audrey II holding Rick Moranis, Steve Martin, Ellen Green, and Vincent Gardenia aloft over its singing plant jaws. It was huge. It took up the entire side of the one row, right at the front. And it was, at least at the time, one of the coolest things I can say I've ever seen. And of course, me wanting to see it, it was a hard no from the parents. But, unlike some of the other times I heard no, I didn't let this one go. My father understandably, tired of my whining about wanting to see the movie, took it upon himself to make the executive decision, fine, you want to see the movie? Well, I'm not going to let you see the new one. Instead, we'll watch the old one. Now, I can dig this logic as an adult, 
It's an old black and white film. It's listed as a comedy horror. And I'm sure in his mind, watching the old black and white film was the safer bet. There wouldn't be any language to worry about. There wouldn't be sexual content. The effects wouldn't be too scary for me. It was being rebroadcast on WPWR-TV Power 50, so clearly they wouldn't show anything too crazy on television. It had to be edited, right? Holy shit, was that a miscalculation. Instead of watching a bright musical comedy that did indeed have some scary stuff, I instead found myself in my paternal grandparents' sunken den, in the dark, under a blanket, watching a movie, which was clearly a horror film, designed for adults rather than an upbeat musical. Not to be misunderstood, the film is clearly a black comedy, if you watch it through adult eyes. And it's a very good one. But try explaining a black comedy to a child of five. Starring Jonathan Hayes, Jackie Joseph, Mel Wells, Dick Miller, and a very young Jack Nicholson. It was played to the hilt for dark absurdity, something that folks should absolutely watch today. But I digress. While the adults upstairs visited with each other and played Pinochle, I watched in stupefied horror as Seymour Krelborn, the aforementioned Jonathan Hayes, crossbred a butterwort plant with a Venus flytrap then discovered that it subsisted upon blood. As the plant grows, it develops this rather raspy whisper that begins to demand to be fed and holds that inept young man to the task. Uh, when he refuses, it can hypnotize him and make him go out and do its bidding. So, out while walking the tracks at night to think his situation over, Seymour humorously accidentally causes a man to be knocked unconscious and killed by a passing train. Thus begins a murder cycle that the young florist puts out. Um, as well as this plant's further lust for mayhem, Seymour goes on to kill a dentist with a sickle probe, which super freaked me out because at the time my uncle was a dentist and I started to worry if someone would actually do that to him. Seymour's boss, Mr. Mushnick, at the store gets in on the bloodshed. He feeds a would-be robber in the flower shop to the plant by telling him there's money hidden in it. There's a last victim, which is a prostitute who Seymour clubs with a rock in the head and carries her back to be consumed by the plant. Now, all of this in itself is frightening, and it probably would have just been enough to disturb me, you know, a night or two of having some rough sleep. But the thing that cracked me, whenever the plant eats someone, it would grow a flower with the dead person's face in it, and they would talk by way of moaning. Seymour, at the end, throws himself into the plant's mouth with a kitchen knife, hacking and slashing the plant, and finds himself also consumed. As the plant dies, right before it, it goes into these final throws, a last flower springs open with Seymour's face, and he moans to Audrey and Mr. Mushnick that he didn't mean it. Pure nightmare 
fuel. So we've sort of touched on this already with my personal introduction to the original film, but just let's look at the original film itself. The 1960 film was created literally because Roger Corman found that he still had one more week of access to the same sets that he had used to shoot 1959's A Bucket of Blood. So he slapped together a story gave his cast a quick three days to rehearse, and then he shot the entire movie in a two-day period with a couple pickup shots. Say what you want about the man, but he was resourceful. The original Little Shop of Horrors was a B-picture that got released as the second build show on a double bill alongside Mario Obama's Black Sunday, which was a commercial success for the day, and thus it allowed more people to see Little Shop of Horrors. The film ended up never being copywritten because Corman felt he wouldn't make money off subsequent re-releases. And so, after that initial showing, it basically slipped into public domain, and it became a popular film to be played throughout the UHF television broadcasts of the late 60s throughout the early 80s. By 1982, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman created an off-Broadway musical based on that original Corman film, selecting the music to be a cross between 1960s rock with emphasis on doo-wop and creating a Motown-esque Greek chorus. Uh, the ladies are Crystal, Ronette, and Chiffon, all notable 60s girl groups. Changing it from the original film, Seymour did not create the plant by way of crossbreeding. Rather, he found this plant in a Chinese market during a total eclipse of the sun, making this plant a threat from outer space and further tying in with some of the paranoia of the 60s. It, it works great. As an off-Broadway production, it was critically acclaimed upon its debut. It ran for five years and closed in 1987. The show later had a revival in the early aughts and then had a London revival that lasted from 2006 to 2009. An Australian tour followed in 2016 and then later a second UK tour was kicked off in 2016 and then again in 2018. As of this recording, it is this fall of 2019 that Little Shop of Horrors will return to the Westside Theater in New York, back to its off-Broadway roots, which just goes to show it comes full circle. Now, based on all this success, in 1986, Frank Oz, when he was tapped to actually direct this adaptation of the musical and work it into a new film, wisely brought on Howard Ashman to work on adapting his Broadway show into a more workable, cohesive script. Oz smartly played up the comedy angle, and he loaded this film up with comedians of the day. Rick Moranis, Vincent Gardinia, Steve Martin, Jim Belushi, John Candy, Christopher Guest, Paul Dooley, and Bill Murray. And while everyone I just mentioned involved can do a decent job at, you know, singing, acting, the whole works, the two smartest moves I can give Oz credit for was taking on Ellen Green, who had portrayed Audrey in the original off-Broadway show, 
and then securing Levi Stubbs of the Four Tops to voice the plant, Audrey Two thereby balancing the comedy and the musical chops, it ends up tipping what is already something great into the net of excellence. Utilizing cutting edge, at least for the day, puppetry, Audrey II is rendered into this entertaining and yet still unsettling massive singing plant. Practical effects ruling the day, it looks gorgeous and it holds up on film even when you watch it now. But enough of my yakking, I think you can do with a trailer. It all began in this little shop. Ow! Damn roses! Where, strange as it seems, something extraordinary happened. I'm afraid it isn't feeling very well today. No, it's not this What kind of a little is that, Seymour? Little Shop of Horrors, a story about a boy. I've given you sunlight. I've given you rain. Looks like you're not happy. Unless I open a vein. Where did you get such a weird plan? A girl. A florist. I'm telling you, Audrey, he's not a good, clean kind of boy. He's a professional. You'll be a dentist. You have a talent for causing things. Hey, stop be a dentist. People will pay you to be I've been saving all month for this. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. And a plant. Feed me all night long. How am I supposed to keep on feeding you? Whoa! Touch me now! I'm just a mean green mother from outer space and I'm dead. I'm just a mean green mother from outer space and it looks like you've been had. Yes! Rick Moranis. Man's a total disgrace to the dental profession. Ellen Green. Excuse me. Excuse me what? That's better. Vincent Gardenia, with special guest appearances by Steve Martin, John Candy, and Bill Murray. It's your professionalism that I respect. Little Shop of Horrors. So we are entertained with a prologue that tells us an unnamed horror is coming our way. And then we get the chorus of girls singing the theme, Little Shop of Horrors, setting us up for our very story proper. Young Seymour Krelborn, as played by Rick Moranis, works for the struggling Mushnik's Flower Shop, located in Skid Row, at least a part of New York City. He's hopelessly in love with his co-worker, Audrey, as played by Ellen Green and is constantly annoying his benefactor and boss, Mr. Mushnik, played by Vincent Gardenia. After threatening to close the store due to a lack of business, Audrey suggests that they display some of the rather unusual plants that Seymour has over in the window. Upon putting it out to be seen, they immediately get customers, causing Seymour to recount how he found the plant in the first place. It showed up, during a solar eclipse, uh, as presented to us in the song Dadu. The plant has been dubbed Audrey II, 
and Seymour is tasked with keeping their little moneymaker alive and well, which he struggles to do, at least until he hits on the information that the plant thrives by subsisting on blood. Pricking his own fingers, Seymour feeds Audrey too, and the plant continues to grow. And this is laid out for us in the song Grow For Me. I've given you southern exposure to get you to thrive. I've pushed you back hard like I'm supposed to. You're barely alive. I've tried you with levels of moisture from desert to mud. I've given you grow lights and mineral supplements. What do you want from me, blood? I've given you sunlight. I've given you rain. Looks like you're not happy. Unless I open a vein I'll give you a few drops If that'll appease Now please Oh, 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 please Grow for me Now Unbeknownst to Seymour, Audrey is in love with him as well, but she's sort of stuck in this abusive relationship with a drug-abusing sadomasochistic dentist by the name of Oren Scrivello, who's played by Steve Martin, and she longs to run off with Seymour and build a quiet, idyllic life in the suburbs, with the shy florist in training, you know, as she sings about in a song called Somewhere That's Green. After having a very awkward encounter with Oren and Audrey, Seymour dejectively returns to the shop basement where he pleads with the plant just to let him heal a bit. And to his shock and surprise, the plant speaks. Oh boy, here we go again. Come on, I haven't got much left. Just give me a few days to heal, okay? Then we'll start again on the left Feed hand and... me. I beg your pardon? Feed me. Tui, you talked. You, you open your trap. You, you sing and you sing. Feed me, Crabble. Feed me now. Uh, I can't. I'm starving. Look, maybe I can squeeze a little more out of this one. More, 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 more. There isn't any more. What do you want me to do? Slip my wrists? <sighs> oh, boy. Look, I got an idea. I'm going to go down to Spendrick's and pick you up some nice chopped sirloin. Must be blood. Tui, that's disgusting. Must be fresh. I don't want to hear this. Feed me. Does it have to be human? Feed me. Does it have to be mine? Feed me. Where am I supposed to get it? Feed me, Seymour. Feed me all night long. That's right, boy. You can do it. Feed me, Seymour. Feed me all night long. <laughs> Cause if you feed me Seymour, I can grow up big and strong. <laughs> you eat blood, Audrey, too. Let's face it. How am I supposed to keep on feeding you? Kill people? I make it worth your while. What? You think this is all coincidence, baby? The sudden success around here? Depressed coverage? Look, you're a plant. An inanimate object. Does this look inanimate to you, punk? If I can talk and I can move, who's to say I can't do anything I want? Like what? Like deliver, pal. Oh, 
I've seen you get everything your sacred, pleasing, hot desires. Would you like a Cadillac car or a gas shot on jackpot? How about a date with Hedy Lamar? You're gonna get it if you want it, baby. <laughs> How would you like to be a big wheel? Dining out for every meal. I'm the past, you make it all real. You're gonna get it. Hey, I'm your genie. I'm your friend. I'm your willing slave. Take a chance, feed me in. You know the kind of eats, the kind of red hot treats, the kind of sticky licky sweets I crave. Wow! Come on, Simo, don't be a putz. Trust me in your life for sure, that rival key touch. Sure, little initiative boy, work up some guts and you get it. Demanding that he needs blood and that he can make Seymour's dreams come true, at least the dreams of fame, fortune, and the love of Audrey, he suggests that Seymour goes out and murder someone to feed him. Seymour tries to dodge it, saying that he doesn't know anybody who deserves to be fed to a hungry plant. But just then, Oren drives up on his motorcycle and beats Audrey in the street before continuing to hit her on the way into her apartment. Seeing red, Seymour agrees with Tui, stating, The guy sure looks like plant food to me. We then get treated to one of the greatest small, small roles of Bill Murray being a patient in Oren's waiting room. Reprising Jack Nicholson's role from 20 years earlier, a masochist who wants to let everyone know that he requires a long, slow root canal from a sadist dentist. But he ends up getting kicked out of the office when Oren can't properly hurt him. Next! It's me, Arthur Denton. I'm next! Nurse! Huh? Does, uh, that have an appointment? Ask it. I'm off duty. I've been saving all month for this. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. Let's go. Higher history of dental problems. Shut up! Yes, doctor. I went to a terrible dentist on Wednesday who was recommended to me by somebody that I saw on Monday, who is the brother of a man that I usually see on Sundays. And their mother actually taught them everything that they know. She's incredibly gifted and quite elderly, and a lot of people think she shouldn't be working. But I go to her because I'm just incredibly devoted to her strength. She can't really see who you are, but she knows she knows the sound of your voice, and if you tell her where it is, the problem, she eventually works her way back, and she finds the trouble, and she does it. I wish I had that family, because I can only go so long. That's how I want to be. I don't ever want to have to be just... Comfy? Yes, doctor. I remember the first time I went to the dentist, I thought, gosh, what a neat job. If only I were a dentist. The dentist I went to had the greatest car. He had a Corvette, and I thought... My gosh, everybody calls him doctor, and he's not really a doctor. Oh, my God. Only I got out of here okay, and then, but then you know, after it was all finished, they gave me a candy bar, and I thought to myself, this is what I get, a candy bar? This is what you do. You go through your little thing, and you get chocolate out of it. We're getting to work with incredible professionals. We use incredibly, incredibly wonderful equipment. Well, Let's where... take a look at that mouth. Say, ah. Uh... Ah, candy bar. Oh, candy 
special. You are something special. Come on, come on, come on. Mm. Oh, oh. Thank you. It's your professionalism that I respect. Oh, God. Don't stop that. Don't stop. Come on. More. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. What do you want? Same place. Ah, ah, ah. Ah, 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 ah. I'm going to get a candy bar. I'm going to get a candy bar. Come See, Seymour's been waiting in the lobby this entire time to kill Oren, but he's been forced to hold off until Denton is finished. Seymour allows Slash gets dragged by Oren back to the dental chair, where Oren announces that he's going to work on fixing Seymour's various cavities, but first, he's going to need to get some gas. Not for Seymour, but for Oren's own personal enjoyment and use. Seymour begins to take the opportunity to pull a gun that he has taken from the flower shop on Oren. But you see, Oren has rigged himself up into this crazy gas mask contraption, and he ends up breaking a knob off on it, which causes the laughing gas to be cycled through uncontrollably, forcing him to asphyxiate. He literally dies laughing in front of Seymour, and Seymour never had to kill anybody. Seymour takes the body and brings it to Audrey too, chopping it up upon his orders. It's then that Mr. Mushnik witnesses Seymour chopping up a body and feeding it to the plant, so Mushnik just assumes that Seymour is an axe murderer. After feeding, Audrey too grows an additional ten feet tall. Audrey and Seymour connect in Oren's absence and admit their love for each other, through the song Suddenly Seymour. Upon going back to the shop, Seymour, who seems to be on cloud nine, is suddenly confronted by Mr. Mushnik. He holds a gun on Seymour and begins to blackmail him, threatening to go to the authorities unless he can tell Seymour all the secrets for caring for the plant. While Audrey too sings Supper Time to Seymour, Seymour begins to stall and slowly back his boss up towards the plant, which is now large enough to attack and eat a man whole. Mushnik, not realizing what's going on until it's too late, is seized and violently swallowed whole by Audrey too. Seymour is now running the shop. He's offered a botany show, book opportunities, and customized merchandise all based on his success with Audrey too. Wishing to leave and not have the plant kill again, he proposes marriage to Audrey 
and plans to make his escape and start a new life with her and leave the plant behind to starve. Demanding food, the plant confronts Seymour once again. Under no circumstances. Feed me. I will not, so stop asking. Feed me. No, no more. I can't take living with the guilt. Tough titty. Watch your language. Oh, cut the crap. Bring on the meat. Okay, okay. I'll bring you meat. I'll run down to the corner and pick you up some nice ground round. How about that? Don't do me no favors. Look. Hmm? It's my last offer, yes or no? You sure do drive a hard bargain. Done. Fine. Great. I don't think you're getting dessert. Satisfied, Seymour leaves, and the plant reveals itself by calling Audrey into the shop and begging her for a drink, all with the true intent of actually eating her. Seymour does manage to return to the shop in time to save Audrey from the plant. He takes her from the shop and confesses that all of this is his fault. He was only dealing with the plant to win her love. But she confesses that she's always loved him. They're then interrupted by a salesman, as played by Jim Belushi, who announces that he has a million-dollar idea. He's going to replicate Audrey too, sell cuttings of the plant all over the world. Every house could have its very own Audrey too. Seymour is horrified. He throws the salesman out and decides that he himself must end the plant. Seymour returns to the shop and unsuccessfully attacks Audrey too with an axe. Audrey too then reveals its nefarious plan to Seymour singing the song Mean Green Mother from Outer Space. Its goal has always been to take over the planet and consume the population. Many small plants sprout from Audrey too and humorously sing along to the song. Audrey too pulls the shop down on top of Seymour, seemingly killing him. But Seymour's hand rises out of the brick and holds an electrical cable where he then applies it to the singing plant itself, electrocuting him, causing it to burst into flame and explode. Seymour and Audrey then move to the suburbs as planned, marry, live happily ever after in a green tract house. And as the camera pans out from the garden to the front of the home, it reveals that there's a small pink-butted Audrey too. I, I don't know, would this make it an Audrey 3 now? Plant, who smiles cutely at the camera as the film fades out. It's an excellent musical, and it's to be enjoyed even by those who don't like musicals. So let's unpack this first by stating that the ending that we grew up with on this film is not the actual ending that was shot for the film. It is the ending that the focus groups demanded as they didn't want to sit through this nice, funny love story only to see it have a tragic ending, which is exactly what the original Broadway play has. Director Frank Oz himself commented that the difference between a stage ending and a film ending is 
You can have a silly, although downer ending with a stage play because when the play's over, all of the lead actors come out and they'll take a bow and they'll talk to the audience and wave. Whereas at a movie, actor dies on screen, they don't come back out and bow. They're just dead. Seymour returns to the store and he pulls Audrey from the plant's maw, but she's been mortally wounded by the plant's teeth. He confesses everything to her. She forgives him and tells him she loves him. Then she tells him that he deserves to have all of this success, telling Seymour that she would like to be fed to the plant and sings a small reprieve of Somewhere That's Green. Seymour is devastated and he climbs to the shop's roof to kill himself. But he's stopped again by the salesman, in this, the original version, played by veteran character actor Paul Dooley. And upon hearing the pitch, he is determined to stop and destroy the plant. But it's in this iteration that Seymour comedically loses the battle with the plant, and rather than be buried alive, he too ends up eaten by Audrey too who spits his glasses out in contempt after the act's done. The film then ends with Audrey II's having spread all around the country, possibly the world. Audrey II is now a massive, gigantic, King Kong-sized plant, scaling the Statue of Liberty while other plants terrorize the public and overpower the army. A terrified populace sings the closer song, Don't Feed the Plants, begging the audience. As Audrey too bursts through the screen, laughing as if it's going to consume the viewers, intimating that the plants are indeed victorious in all of their takeover of the world, the screen flashes the end. Kind of a downer. Still fun. So for starters, what actually makes this movie great? Well, this is a puppetry month, so let me point out, Audrey 2 is a work of puppetry art. It's reactive, dynamic, humorously performed, it has a menacing edge, and with Stubbs giving it a voice performance that can't be topped, you have something that is brought to life in front of you. The puppet was filmed at a frame rate of 12 to 16 frames per second, which is slow motion to a normal person sitting there. So when the motions would be played back at high speed, it would look even more convincing and lifelike. By the time Audrey 2 was in its largest form, it took over 60 puppeteers just to operate the plant. Jim Henson personally went out of his way to compliment his friend Frank Oz on just how well the lip sync of the plant was and still remains truly amazing if you watch it today. Uh, I would say that's praise from Caesar if there ever was any to hear. Next, Ellen Green. She is a tour de force here. Now, if you haven't seen Ellen Green, which is interesting because Ellen Green, while as a Broadway actress, has popped up in several movies. Um, she's unconventionally a strikingly beautiful woman, yet almost an unbelievable kind of character. She's got a really weird body type. She's whip thin, yet very busty. 
She talks her lines in a throaty whisper, and yet she has these pipes from hell that she can just belt music out, which when you look at her, you wonder where's the sound coming from. She is, for all intents and purposes, the strongest actor and performer in this picture next to the plant, and it shows in the most fabulous of ways. This was a great casting choice to take the Broadway veteran on. Little Shop of Horrors was first released in December of 1986, and it did all right at the box office. It grossed $39 million against a $25 million budget. The real money would come from being a smash hit as a video rental, once again imitating its off-Broadway roots, becoming a cult video classic. Living well past its lifetime, it spawned an early 90s Fox television cartoon, with all the characters being depicted as children for some reason, and with Audrey 2 being morphed into a friendly prehistoric plant who has adventures with a young Audrey and Seymour. Maybe it's better that certain things don't always work out. Now, here at the Linden Street Cinema Experience Theater, we screened the 2000 Warner Home Video version of this film. But, in 2012, there was a fantastic supercut of the movie that restored the original ending to full color and came with commentary and positive reactions to the intended original ending. It has since been released as a swanky Blu-ray version as well, and all of that could be yours for the outrageous price of $14.34 on Blu-ray today as we speak if you go to Amazon, and it seems more than worth it for something of such quality. Remember folks, we don't get paid to recommend that you purchase the film from these companies, we just think it's important that you purchase physical media, and to ensure that these companies continue to release prints of films that we love and adore so much, and then it lets us peruse properly more films at the end of the day. And isn't that the only thing that really matters? On top of all that, I gotta say, people should go out and watch the original 1960 Roger Corman movie. You know, the one I said that had Jack Nicholson in it, and it had our man Dick Miller in it. A great movie, and you can get it for a song. Heck, like, it's part of box sets where you can buy, like, a set of 14 different Roger Corman movies for something silly, like, I want to say $6.99 on Amazon in the last, like, two months. So, again... Where can you go wrong? You're seeing a classic film that was used to inspire another classic film. All works out at the end. So that's going to wrap things up here for this episode of I Saw It on Linden Street. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like us, please follow us on our Facebook page, The Linden Street Cinema Experience, and recommend us to friends. We're also on Instagram at LSCE underscore podcast, or you can follow us on Twitter at LSCEP. 
follow us or subscribe to us on the podcast platform of your choice. If you're an Apple Podcast user, please, we would greatly appreciate a five-star and a review. If you want to get in touch with us, make a comment, ask a question, send us wonderful things, please email us at lindenstreetcinemaexperience at gmail.com. Or send us an audio message by way of Anchor. It's free, it's an easy app to use, and you might end up on the show if you do so. So until next time, please take care out there, and remember, life's too short not to live in the past. Take it easy, everybody.